excited today to end this series on, on give and how it's an opportunity for us to think through the ways that Jesus gives to us. We began uh, three weeks ago with a message on uh, giving out, and we've looked at give up, and today we're going to look at give in. And a way to give in is to give in to grace to others, and the Christ that saved us has given us something from within that we need to give to others. It'd be really difficult for me to not acknowledge as I stand here today in front of the sacrifices in front of me that we are definitely uh, privileged, and I'm privileged. And I just want to say is I love Grace Community Church. I love that I get to be the senior pastor here and to lead. I love when we ask uh, you to give to a need that's in our world that you just do it. And I watched you leave uh, three weeks ago, a lot of you uh, shoeless, and others bring shoes in over the last couple weeks. And I'm excited to know that somewhere in, in Japan right now, are some children and some adults that, uh, who have been displaced because of uh, the horrific uh, tsunami effects on the, the coastline of China or Japan to know that somehow these shoes uh, will bring some comfort to them. And so I just want to say I'm proud of you. Um, I like to tell people that I get to pastor a church that understands what it means to give. So I just want to say thank you uh, for being the kind of people and servants of Christ who see a need and respond to it. Today, we're going to give us a chance to see the heart of Jesus Christ in in another way. And it's a concept that I think or a doctrine that should be spoken probably, if truth be known, probably regularly, if not weekly in our lives. And we're going to talk about grace today and what it means to us and how we should be givers of grace. And we're going to look at a a, a text today in the Bible that it's hard to wrap your mind around it, to be quite honest with you, because it's given to someone who doesn't deserve it. I love when I hear stories of grace. I love when I see where people just reach out and give, even though someone doesn't deserve it, because otherwise it wouldn't be grace. And there's a person who, uh, who, who I'd like to read about, um, who often does these uh, unique things to reach people in, in dark corners of our world. And uh, today I'd like to read to you an account of a person who I think extended grace, and I think it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, because if, it, if our gospel doesn't have grace in it, then we're all in trouble because we can never earn our salvation. Uh, it's not by works uh, or we would boast. It's, it's grace through faith. But there's a, a gentleman that, uh, that sits on the edges of our, of our world and reaches people that most people don't take time for. And I'm going to read a story uh, that Tony Campolo tells about him extending uh, some love to some wayward people that probably... Most of us uh, wouldn't consider uh, doing so. But this is his story, and so i like to read it and just listen to it with me. Campola tells a story of being in Hawaii a few years ago for a Christian conference. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, and Campolo could not sleep. So he got up, got dressed, and left the hotel where he was staying to search for a place to get something to eat. Eventually, he found himself in a tiny coffee shop that was open at 3 a.m. in the morning. This is the description that he gave uh, of what happened there. Says this, the guy behind the counter came over and asked me what I wanted. I told him I wanted a cup of coffee and a donut. As I sat there munching my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door suddenly opened behind me. And to my discomfort walked in eight or nine provocatively dressed in rather boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was rude, loud, and crude. I felt completely out of place. I was just about to make my getaway when I heard the woman next to me say this. 
you know, tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a rather nasty tone. So what do you, you want me to do? What do you want me to do with that information? A birthday party. What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday to you? Come on, the woman sitting next to me said. Why do you have to be so mean? I'm just telling you that it's my birthday. Why do you have to put me down? I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? 39 years old, never had a birthday party. Coppola says, when I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women left. And then I called over the, the guy behind the counter and asked, do they come in here every night? He answered, yeah. The one who was sitting right next to me, does she come in every night, I asked. Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. She comes in every night. Why do you want to know? Because I replied, I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to say, do something special for her? What do you think about throwing a birthday party for her right here in the coffee shop? A cute kind of smile crept over the man's chubby cheeks. That's a great idea, he said. I like it. That's great. Agnes is one of those people who is really nice and kind. I don't think anybody has ever done something nice and kind for her. Well, look, I told him, if it's okay with you, I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 2.30 a.m. I'll decorate the place. I'll even buy a birthday cake. No way, he replied. The birthday cake, that's my thing. I'll bake the birthday cake myself. At 2.30 the next morning, Compolo says, I was back at that coffee shop. I picked up some crepe paper and other decorations at the store and made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that said, Happy birthday, Agnes. I decorated that diner from one end to the other. I had it really looking great. The word must have gotten out on the street because by 3.15 a.m. that morning, every prostitute in Honolulu was in that place. There was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me, Tony says. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. When they came in, we all jumped up and screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! Then we sang to her. And you know, I've never seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her knees began to buckle. Her friend had to offer her arm to steady her. And I noticed she began to cry. When the birthday cake with all the candles was carried out, that's when she lost it. She started sobbing. Harry, the guy behind the counter, gruffly mumbled, Blow out the candles, Agnes. Blow out the candles. Then he handed her a knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes. Cut the cake. Agnes looked down at that cake. And without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, if it's okay with you, I, I mean, if, if I don't, what I want to ask, if it's okay, if I can keep the cake for a little while, it is okay. If we don't eat, is it okay if we don't eat the cake right away? Harry shrugged and answered, well, sure, Agnes, that's fine. You want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Oh, could I, she asked. Looking at me, she said, I just live down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off of her stool. She picked up that cake and she carried it out of the diner like it was the holy grail. She walked slowly towards the door 
and we all just stood there speechless. When the door closed behind her, there was a stunned silence in that place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray together? (laughs) Just picture that if you can. (laughs) Looking back on it now, it seems more than a little strange that a sociologist from Eastern Pennsylvania would be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But I prayed. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. Prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leaned over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of preacher are you anyway? What church do you belong to? In one of those moments when you just say the right words, I answered him quietly. I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry thought for a minute and then almost sneered as he answered. No, you don't. There is no church like that. In fact, he concluded, if there was... I join it. I wonder if truth would be known, if that is the case for people who don't know Christ. I wonder if truth be known for prostitutes in our communities, and they're here. I wonder if those neighbors who have lives that are riddled with sin that somehow we've pushed out and we put on the edges, and we look at them differently if they would ever walk into the church that we worship in because somehow they see something about us that doesn't judge, that receives them freely and extends grace to them. I wonder in a group of this size here in the main, the link in South Bend, Mishawaka, even those watching on the internet, I wonder if people would come to you knowing that you would receive them for who they are and not what they've done and what they've accomplished. I wonder if you would be willing to host a birthday party for a prostitute in your neighborhood. You see, when we begin to wrap our minds around those kinds of concepts and thoughts, and when we begin to say it's possible and we would be willing to, that is when we begin to look like Christ. That is when people look at us and say something's different about that individual, that neighbor, that coworker. That friend, that, that person who, who lives down the street. I wonder as if we had the ability to, to, to take the people who are in our sphere of influence, those around us in our hallways, in, in our rooms, in our communities, if they would look at us as people of grace or they would say, oh, I could never ask them. Jesus, without a doubt, hammers us hard in John chapter 8. I want you to turn there, and then we're going to ask some questions, and we're going to examine our lives. Turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to see a story of grace. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. I want you to turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to read this. John chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and look at John chapter 8. Hold your hand up until you receive a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. And if you have one, just leave it on on your seat on the way out. But turn to John chapter 8. When you find that, stand with me. We're going to read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 6 together. 
Let's read John 8, verses 1 through 6 together. Ready, read. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You may have a seat. The Pharisees were constantly trying to trap Jesus and and to force him to, to say who he was. And so they were constantly trying to find fault in his life. And so they're using this woman to get at Jesus. And so grace is going to be demonstrated in this account right here by the way we value others. Jesus is going to have a decision to make. The Pharisees had already made their decisions. The people on the perimeters had made their decisions about this woman. But as I look at this, I'm always, even as I've read through this many times, I'm always got to ask, always have to ask these questions. Did these guys wait? Because it says she was caught in the act of adultery. She was drug into the, the, the teaching where Jesus was. It'd be not any different today because I'm sure there were many, many people around wanting to hear what Jesus had to say. And they came in, in, in hundreds and thousands. And so he's beginning to teach. And as he opens up the word to teach to them, they see this ruckus from the back. And these, these arrogant men drag this woman right to the front. They bring her down. And there she is. She was in the act. She was probably unclothed. And so Jesus has a decision to make in this moment. How will I respond to this? Will I continue to teach? Will I I respond the way grace requires me to respond? Or will I go with the customs of the Old Testament where Moses says, if a woman is caught in adultery, stone her. Jesus has a decision to make. Will he stone her like the Old Testament tradition says? Or will he respond differently? And in their mind, if he doesn't say stone her, then they can arrest him. Jesus was constantly being attacked by righteous people. He has a decision to make. Without a doubt, it's a setup. And without a doubt, these men that brought this woman in, she wasn't even a human being to them. She was just a woman caught in adultery that they were hiding in the bushes. They had had waited, they had had video, and they went in and caught her in the act, and they brought her in. The other question begs an answer is this. Where was the man? Why wasn't he drug in? The reason he wasn't is because they weren't concerned about people. They knew that he's had one of them. Then Jesus would have to say, Old Testament, stone her. He had a decision to make. And so we have decisions to make every day. We see people on the fringes doing sinful things. You do sinful things. We have decisions to make when they're called out, when they're brought before us. And the question we have to ask ourselves today, what's your response to those around you who make poor decisions? What is your initial thought? What do you do? Is it laced in grace or is it laced in truth and law? Jesus has a decision to make. Jesus was in a no-win situation, at least the Pharisees thought so. If he agreed with the law of Moses, then she should be stoned. If he agreed to all his teachings of grace, then it would all go down the drain and he would be branded a heretic and arrested. He wasn't who he said he was. So they dragged her and exposed her before Jesus, standing naked 
And he says, what are you going to do with this piece of meat right here? And that's how they treated her. You see, all the time we have decisions to make in these kind of encounters. You will not leave this room without being confronted with issues like this, similar to this. How do I respond to people who aren't doing what God wants them to do? What is my response to that? What should be my response? How do I respond to someone who is off the path, off the journey? And the challenge is this. Many of us have known Christ for a very long time, and we're on this journey of progressive sanctification. We're way out here, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Someone comes to Christ, and we expect them to be living the way we already do at 30 to 40 years. And so the measure to which we judge them is based upon what we know and what we're doing. So Jesus has a decision. I mean, he's perfect. Think about it. He doesn't even have any sin. He's looking at a sinful woman. I mean, he is the measure of perfection. Of all people, he should be the one to call her out. He should be the one to say, stone her. He had the right. What did he do with her? See, way too much time in circles, especially Christian circles, is spent on evaluating people and how they live their lives instead of living your own victorious life and valuing people like Jesus did. See, here's what really gets, here, here's, here, this is, I'll just be totally honest. I don't understand this, but Jesus doesn't base his grace on us, on our behavior. Think about that for a second. I could be in the armpit, and there's times I'm in the armpit. I'm a sinful person. And you know that. Ask my wife, ask my daughter, ask my sons. I'm a sinful person. In the armpit of sin, when I'm at my worst, the worst version of myself, Jesus extends grace to me. Now, when I'm at my very best, whatever that is, and only Christ knows that, I could be at my very best, obedient, following Christ, doing my devotions, leading people to Christ, you know, on mission, doing everything right. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't love me any more here than he did there. Now, I don't understand that. In fact, most of us don't even want to understand that because you know how we treat people? We treat them based upon their behavior. We do. And so, but grace is not based upon behavior. So back it up. So what's that mean to us? Here's what it means. No matter where you're at in your walk, pre-Christ, post-Christ, in the armpit of sin, victoriously living for Christ, Jesus sees you. And he gives you just as much grace in every condition. See, that's hard to wrap your mind. What doesn't make sense? It doesn't compute. That's not fair. Then why live for Christ? Because there's blessing and obedience that comes from obedience. Because we love our God. We want to honor him. We want other people to know it. But truth be known, your grace isn't measured by your behavior. Pharisees didn't understand. I'm like, well, she broke this law, this law, this law, stone. And Jesus said, she might have broken the law and she might have done this, but I'm going to give her as much grace here, even if she didn't do this. She wasn't a human being to them, by the way. She was just an object used to be trapped, Jesus Christ. Let me, let me, let me stop here and just say a, a, a truthful statement. I'm convinced that our world needs a fresh dose of grace. I'm so convinced of that. I'm convinced that the local church who claims to follow Jesus Christ, who are people of the way, who have been redeemed and sanctified and justified, who say, I love Jesus. I think we need to revisit the doctrine of grace. What has happened is we keep 
adding to grace. We even do it for salvation now. It's like, well, they must not be saved because they don't have this and they don't have enough of that and they haven't done enough good deeds. If they were truly saved, we even, we even put, we tax stuff post-salvation to make sure that people are saved. Sure, there should be fruits. But listen, we're not the examiner of who, salvation. Christ knows who's saved. But stop right now and ask yourself, just, just be brutally honest right now. Do you feel the need to constantly expose the fault of others and critique them because you know it makes you feel better about you? Seriously, ask yourself that question. Then why do we do it? What other motive is it other than to make us look better and to bump other people down? Are you a person who just loves, and and listen, all of us are sinful. I already told you that I am. I know you're surprised by that, but all of us are sinful. All of us are sinful. So there are those moments when we're at our worst is when, when you find out something about someone else who's supposed to be a Christ follower that when you're not at your best, there's this sinful part of you, this flesh, that wants to take your ear, say, tell me some more. You might not say, tell me some more, but you're leaning in to get the full story. And why is that? Because we love it when we hear those stories because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Grace has nothing to do with that. I'm always saddened by the ways that Christians mistakenly chapter and verse people's behavior. I'm also saddened to see the pride that surfaces when we do that. Let me remind you of this today. You and I are pretty valuable. If you don't believe that, then why did Jesus go to the cross? (laughs) You do not have to settle in your dreams because of your past. See, Right in this room and in the link in, in South Bend, Mishawaka, and, and those who are watching on the internet, right now, some of you, you're, you're convinced that you're, that, that you're second class. You're convinced that you're damaged. You're convinced that this stuff from your past will not allow you to be all that Christ wants you to be. And so you sit in your seat and you hear messages on grace and you hear about this victorious life you could live with Christ. And you say, well, that could never be me because I'm single. And you know what? I want to get married one day. And you know what? There was a time in my life when I blew it and I had sex with a girl or with a guy. And somehow that makes me less. And so with that being known, here's what we do. Satan comes in and says, yeah, you are second class. And so what happens? You don't think you deserve someone who's a sold out Christ follower. Or you don't think that they would fall in love with you. And so you settle. And some even settle to the point where they don't even marry Christians. Maybe you're here today and you're a single mom and... Maybe it's just something in this relationship that went south and, and maybe you have been divorced. And there's a lie that you believe that somehow that you're damaged goods. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ redeems you. He redeems people. He redeems nations and cities. If we believe that lie, then we got to take out three quarters of the New Testament. Or maybe you're here today and you have a felony or you've been incarcerated and you keep hiding that because you know in the circles that you're in, if you ever were vulnerable and said that you were incarcerated, that you're, fear, you're fearful that somehow these people will leave. Let me tell you, if people get up and leave, let them go. That's not love. Let me tell you, you come to Grace Community Church, you will find out that there's a God that loves you. Sure, he has requirements of you. Sure. And we don't water down the truth. You know we talk truth here, and we talk about sin, and we talk about hell, and Satan is real. But let me tell you, this community needs a good dose of grace. Stop right now and ask yourself the question, are there times that you feel like you're a second-class person? 
and you believe the lie. You see, grace watches life through the windshield and not the rearview mirror. Grace watches life through the windshield and not the rearview mirror. You don't let these things from your past stop you from being who Christ intended you to be. These men saw this woman as a nobody, and they would dare not ever, they could care less if she was stoned. To her, she wasn't anybody because she was caught in the act of adultery. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 as a reminder of this truth. 1 Corinthians 6, just hold your finger here in John and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and look at verse 9. And here's what happens with messages on grace. Some of the elite of the elite, hopefully no one in this room, will say, yeah, but, yeah, but, Pastor Jim, yeah, but. Yeah, but if you give too much, yeah, but. If you do this, then that means this. Yeah, but, then if you do this, that means you, you're condoning sin. No, it doesn't. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says this, uh, this passage. Just, just hold on and watch till the end. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, so we stop there. Read on. And so then he lays out this list. Do not be deceived, neither, neither the what? Who are they? Sexually immoral, nor what? What's it say? Dolchers, nor what? Nor what? Nor what? Nor what? Nor the what? Nor what? Nor what? Nor what? Will inherit the kingdom of God. You know what we do? Close the book. Praise the Lord. Woo! None of them are going to heaven. And so we throw that out. We chapter and verse it. And we throw it out and say, there it is. Drunkards don't go to heaven. There it is. Sexually immoral don't go to heaven. So we all these people are beat up and think, well, I can never be worthy of God. And I can never earn his salvation. You don't have to earn it. It's by salvation, by grace, through faith. But then Paul says this. We always let out the second half of this. We like memorizing the first part, especially those of us who really like to judge. Verse 11 says this. And that is what some of you, what, were. See that past tense? And then he says this. He says, that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of your God, you are redeemed. See, the sanctification process is something that happens at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit enters us, and we begin this journey with God. But it's a continual progressive march to be more like Christ. We're not completely like Christ until 1 John 3, 2 says, when we are in a redeemed body after rapture, post-rapture, when we see him. So in the meantime, there's going to be some mess-ups and some screw-ups. Listen to me, church. It's, It's what you were not what you are. This passage also is a reminder of our condition, our real condition, that it, that, that changes everything. I mean, look back at John chapter 8. Our real condition changes everything. Look at, look at verse 6, John chapter 8. Look at the second half of, of, of verse 6. Look what it says. John chapter 8 and verse 6 it says this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. You know, I, you've read journals, and I've read commentaries, and we, we don't know exactly what he did, but all of us have ideas. But whatever he did, whatever he did, they got quiet initially, but then they started to yell out. But he bent over, and he began to write something in the ground. He didn't speak to them. His first response wasn't utterable words. He actually did something, and so he began to write something. What did he write, by the way? 
Well, I, I have ideas. Maybe he began to write something like this. He started putting dates and times. Four o'clock yesterday. And he put a name by it. And someone in the back said, whoa. And he began to write something else. Maybe he wrote four weeks ago in the state of Georgia at 11 o'clock at night. Wrote that. Maybe he wrote business trip 2009. Maybe he wrote sixth grade, Mrs. Smith's classroom when no one was there. Maybe he wrote prom night when you were 18 years old. And, and all of a sudden, these guys began to see these scribblings in the ground. And maybe they began to walk away because they said, whoa, guilty, guilty, guilty. Maybe he wrote 21st birthday, the one you don't remember. On the laptop last night, maybe Facebook comments. And as they began to write and he began to work these words into the ground, they saw it. And the text tells that some of them left. But look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. Now picture if you can. And he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He's down on the ground and he's scribbling. He's writing in the ground and he's scribbling. And they keep badgering him with questions, asking questions. Finally looked up and said, hey. If any of you, Grace Community Church, any of you without sin, you throw the first stone. I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? I think a great question. Seriously, who's going to throw a stone? But they thought they were righteous. They carried their list of 600 plus. Here we are. We did all these things. Look at us. We deserve. Maybe he began to get more specific because read on. Look what he says. Look, verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Maybe he start putting names and he start writing acts and he start putting them down. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, he knows a lot more than what we thought he did. Jesus is saying, lay down your stones, Pharisees. Lay down your stones, church. You've made a mess of your own life. Before you start stoning someone else, do some soul searching on your own. Isn't that what he's saying here? I mean, yes. When I read that, he's saying, Jimmy, put down your stones. Jimmy, you're a mess without grace. Jimmy, quit judging. Jimmy, you got enough problems. Get the plank out of your own eye. Doesn't the word of God tell us that in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness is like filthy rags? I've often would have loved to do a narrative of, uh, a drama of this account. Now, I would put a, a forward flavor on it and a, make it more modern. But I kind of picture, when I say that our righteousness is filthy rags, and if you look at that word in the Hebrew, seriously, it means a woman's monthly rag. So he's saying our righteousness is as filthy rags. I would, it's, like, it's, like, it's like these guys, these Pharisees, taking the lid, the top of the septic tank in the yard, putting their scuba gear on, jumping in and swimming around. Now, just picture that. And then going and dragging this woman in front of Jesus, standing there with the slime and everything that goes in the toilet on him, and saying, sinful. And meanwhile, you want to say, take a good look at yourself, bud. What's that hanging all over you? Those feces, that dirt, that grime. You know what all's in there. Use your imagination. I mean, that's the picture. And they got, still got their snorkel on so they could breathe inside of it. And Jesus is saying, those slimy mets 
Men right there, those of you with the, no sin, throw the first stone. Yet somehow when we are in this condition, we don't see our own sin. We just think, well, theirs is worse than ours. And see, you know what the Christian church is really good at? We're really good at putting depth and measurement on sin. Like, well, that one's like number 10. Well, this one isn't bad. And you know what we do with things like gossip? That's not bad. And truth be known, it's probably the most damaging sin that there is. Grace changed everything. It's about to change everything for this woman. I know what some of you say, yeah, Jim, but... I just continue to give grace and nothing happens. Listen to me. I don't understand this. Our finite minds don't wrap around this concept because we always see an end in mind with grace. But Jesus' grace never stops with us. Seriously. Does he ever get to a point said, that's it. I had like four jars full and you're done. Seriously, if that's how he operated, then that's not grace through our whole life. The problem is this, some of us are really good at picking out faults of other people, and you've become a referee. You're a whistleblower. Isn't that what a ref does? He he calls fouls. Isn't that what we're really good at? It's easy to point out faults. In fact, when you're calling the fouls on someone else, it's easy to see what they've done wrong. I mean, seriously, have you ever went to a basketball game? Probably never have, and you've never seen a ref make a bad call. I'm sure you've never seen that. And what do we do? We call him out. Well, most of you do. I sit beside guys that call him out. That way he says everything I'm thinking, and I don't say it. There's some wisdom in that. But isn't that what we do? We call people out. It's easy to call people out. When truth be known, how often we just stand up and say, you're doing a great job. Seriously. When's the last time you've been to a basketball game, a volleyball game, a baseball game, where you stand up and say, let's cheer He's, didn't he do it awesome? Seriously, wouldn't that just blow him away? If one whole side just said, let's stand up, let's cheer for the rep. You're doing awesome, God. You know why it, it, we don't? Because we're good at what we do. But you know what? We don't need any more referees. I mean, this is the picture of the Christian life. It's like we carry these whistles around. Some of them's got really good ones, fancy ones, where the you know, little silver ball inside we like, and we just call foul. And we like it. Some of us got it down. We're really good at it. We will, and we, 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 we practice in the mirror, huh? It's ridiculous. Jesus says, throw away your whistles. Man, my ears hurt. Throw them away. We don't need any more referees is what Jesus is saying. Take a look at your snorkel and see what it's full of. With some of us, we carry our calculators. 70 times 7, 490. I'm a math major. La-di-da. And we somehow believe that somehow if we do that, that God's going to view us in a better way. And he looks down and says, good job, Jim. You're really good at seeing sin in other people's lives. You're good at calling out faults. You think that's what God does? Now, I'm not saying that we don't address sin. Don't go and say, he doesn't talk about sin. Yes. But what do you do in response? What's your attitude in it? I think people need to throw away some memory sticks and clean out some hard drives of other people. That's what I think. Otherwise, you don't see people like Jesus sees them. You know, 
you and I could be in our greatest place of our spiritual life. And you know what that is. I, I don't know what it looks like. It looks different for everybody. But you could be at your highest of highs. It could be your best day, your best week. Man, you've been sold out to Jesus. I mean, you've been all in. And you could be feeling really good because it's good when we walk in, 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 in fellowship with God. And there's reward there. And there is a sweetness to it. I mean, it could be a really sweet time when we obey God. And, there, and he honors that. And he blesses that. And scripture is full of passages. And we could be feeling really good. And all it takes is one phone call or one reminder of, of, from Satan that says, hey, remember two weeks ago when you, huh? Remember like four weeks ago when you, huh? Remember like last year when you think you're doing so good? <laughs> I remember this. And in that moment of time when we're doing really good, all it takes is someone to dredge up something from the past and our day is wrecked. I just listened last week to a podcast of a pastor who told this story. He said he was, he's, a, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job for God, reaching thousands of people. And people are coming to Christ and being discipled and growing. And he's one of my favorite guys I listen to. And I was listening to it and he was telling the story. He said he was at a great place in, his, in the, 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 the time of the church and, and God was doing some neat things. And, and it, it was a humble response. He was saying this in a humble way. And he said, he looked down at his cell phone and it began to ring. He didn't recognize the phone number. I don't recognize that phone number. And so he did what most of us do, and he let it go to voicemail. So he went to voicemail and heard this voicemail. And this guy who was, a, this guy's 40 years old. This guy, he says, you think you're such a hot shot. People don't really know you. And he went on to tell this story of something they did when they were 13 years old to remind him of his past. And he says, oh, that's like a call from Satan. Let me ask you something. How many of you are still holding on to thoughts from your husband and your wife, your brother, your sister, a coach, a principal, an employer, an employee, a friend, a colleague, something that they've done in the past and they've moved past that, but you love reminding them of it. That's not grace. It's just not grace. You see, I think we need a fresh view of grace. You see, you want to see life change take place in this world that we live in? You want to see breakthrough take place in marriages? You want to see cities and communities saved? You want to see revival at colleges? Start just dealing out grace. Just in, in large doses. Just give it to people. Give them over to God. Pray for them. And just extend grace and love them with the love of God like you receive every single day from him. I will guarantee you people will run to you. I'm afraid, though, we're building churches of full of people who have forgotten the doctrine of grace. And right now, you know some of you are. You're saying, yeah, but, Pastor Jim, yeah, you don't know who I live with. No, I don't, but God does. He has to live with you. Think about that. Isn't that bad enough? Besides, some of the very people that we have dare not work with here on earth, some people will say, well, I'm not touching them. Secondary separation. And then they go like third dairy separation or fourth dairy or fifth dairy and cow dairy, whatever they get to. It's like, I, won't, I, would, ever, I would never set with them. And the crazy thing about it is probably some of these people that they separate themselves from, they'll be spending eternity in heaven with. And I'm convinced we're at the love feast. We're at this meal. Jesus is going to set them right beside them. Here, can I help you? Seriously, let's get over with the fault finding. Let's throw away the whistles. Let's love people. Yeah, but Pastor Jim, yeah, but. Jesus does not tolerate self-righteous people either. In fact, grace stands out in this passage. 
I know I'll get emails from people on the internet, and I just love them. Just go delete. This is, you just water down the truth there at Grace Community Church. You just want to fill the seats. No, we don't. See, grace softens hearts because it makes no human sense. Read on here. Look what happens to this lady. Look at verse, verse 9. At once, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Who went first? The what? Older ones. Why? Because they're wiser. Until only Jesus was left. And before the, everyone left, it was the young people there who, who knew they were right. And, and it says, Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I have been a student of the Bible for over 40 years. Only by God's grace. Because he saved me when I was young, and I'm grateful for that. And I would say this. As I look at the Bible and as I look at people, we struggle with grace. We just do. And, and sometimes it's because we want to do the right thing too. And we think that somehow if, 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 if we do the right thing, the right thing is, is calling out and, and, and judging all the time. And sometimes based upon our tradition that we've been raised in. But seriously, I wonder if people would run to you or, or us when they feel horrible about themselves. There's an indicator if you're a person of grace. Seriously, when someone has blown it, are you the person they call? Or they dare not be vulnerable with you because they know that they know that they know that you will call them out and send them away and not extend any grace. Seriously, how often do you get a phone call? Now, listen to me. I don't want you to pacify their sin nor condone their sin. But I want you to reach out in grace and love and say, hey, with God's help, you're going to get through this. I love what he says, who condemns you? And she says, no one. And we, we memorize verses like Romans 8, 1. Some of us, you know, we memorize it when we were four years old. There is now no for, there, therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And you say, yeah, what about that one? You sure, God? I've seen every interpretation under the sun on this passage. I've seen eisegesis, good exegesis. I've seen terrible hermeneutics. I've seen good hermeneutics. And all that I know, when I clearly look at the Greek and I look at this phrase, Jesus said, listen, young lady, go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't say, come back in seven weeks after you went through Beth Moore's Bible study. He didn't say that. He didn't say, come back next week after you go and apologize to every person that you've wronged. He didn't say, come back and I'll see, make sure that you repent it. And in six months, then I'll know whether or not it held. He just gave grace. He said, go and leave your life of sin. And I'm convinced if we were able to jump into this woman's heart and speak to her now, I'm convinced she trusted Christ and repented. And I, I'm, I am also convinced she didn't do it because the Pharisees pointed out her sin and said, hey, you got sin in your life. She said, oh, I'm sorry. You know why she repented? Because someone loved her where she was at, extended grace, and that stood out to her. And she's like, whoa, I've never seen that. And she responded and saw that on the other side of this grace, there was a God that gave his his son, Jesus Christ, in an act of grace. And she said, I want some of that. Everything changed that morning for this lady. She had never in her life tasted grace so real and free as this, nor did that prostitute that Tony Campolo had a birthday party for. Church, let's be honest. If you and I get this one down, 
the world will be won to Jesus Christ in droves. People will come running to your hallway, to your dorm, to your house, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, because people need grace. They're beat up. They already hate this condition that they're in. They already feel like damaged goods. Listen, God loves people who have horrible past and he restores it and redeems it. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to go there with your ex-husband, your ex-wife, your ex-employer, your ex-coach, your ex-friend and extend grace and let God work in their heart? Or are you still holding on? Here's the picture I have here. Some were standing and some left. Are you still standing and holding on to that thing they did to you? Are you still holding on and pointing out that path and you went to them and you went to them and they're not changing? Are you still holding on or have you turned and left and said, I'm leaving it to God? When you begin to do this, everything changes. Father God, I don't pretend today, God, to say that this is easy. I would be kidding myself and us. And I don't pretend to say that some situations aren't very complex. And I wouldn't pretend to say that I know when we've extended too much and enabled someone. But I will say this. God, you never stop giving us grace. And if you did, we would be in major trouble. Lord, I ask in an unusual way in this room that we would understand grace in a fresh way. Maybe that means we go back and refriend some people and just love on some people. No, we don't condone their sin, but we just give them grace. God, I know in a room of this size, and I know a room this size in the link, that there are people who feel like damaged goods. And maybe there are parents in this room and in South Bend and the Link and the Main who feel like they failed because their children have made poor decisions. And so they live their lives wondering if people are looking at them. And maybe there's singles in here that feel like damaged goods because of poor decisions they made in prior relationships. And maybe there's divorced people, and maybe there's felons, and maybe there's just Christians who beat themselves up so bad because of a sin in their life that they want victory over, and yet they don't think they're deserving of grace. God, help us today. I pray in a fresh way in this room that we would just allow ourselves to be baptized and washed in grace. God, help us to be able to receive it freely. And I ask, God, that you would heal the hearts of individuals who need to receive it and to give it. Lord, just move in this moment. Give us a fresh taste of grace. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we're going to just let you do that now. And... We're going to close the services in both venues in the link in the main with, with Jeremy and Jeremiah. It's just singing a song of, of grace that's just being washed over us. And just, it's just a time to sit and soak and, and to, to just be grateful for the grace that God wants to give you.
And so if you would like to just receive that grace and just, just come and just feel it and just, just be baptized by the singing of this song, I just ask you to come and just sit across the front as, as Bing and, and Maya sing. Just soak in God's grace. I know if there's any indication after the first service, there are many, many more even in this room and the link that just need to sit and soak in God's grace. If that's you, just come as they sing. The rest of you, just sit and soak. God, I pray that there would be healing in this room, in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.